men who would become leaders in the church afterwards. And so with all of this training, all of this teaching, all of this preparation, then it might come as a bit of a surprise to realize that the disciples were always making mistakes. It seemed like they were making mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake. And I've got a list of mistakes here. It's fairly comprehensive. Um, and we'll go through some of well, the, these mistakes that the disciples made over the course of um, their, their training and their being with Jesus. Um, but particularly, they seem to make so many mistakes right at the end of the ministry of Jesus. Matthew 8, 23 to 27, the disciples didn't have faith as the boat began to sink. Matthew 14, 22 to 33, Peter walked on water but started to sink because of a lack of faith. Matthew 15, 10 to 20, the disciples didn't understand simple spiritual truths. Um, and Jesus said, are you also yet without understanding? He spoke to them as though they should have known by now what he was talking about. He's talking about the inside of the cup and the platter and, and, and talking about that which going in, not defiling a man, but that which comes out of a man, defiling the man. And Jesus said, are you also without understanding? They should have known by that time, but they didn't. They made a mistake. Matthew 16, 5 to 12. Once again, the disciples were called, O year of little faith, after they didn't realize that Jesus was talking spiritually about the leaving of the Pharisees and not because they had forgotten to bring bread. Matthew 16, 21 to 23. Peter rebukes Jesus and Jesus attributes the inspiration behind it to Satan himself. It's uh, always nice to, to be called Satan, um, but Peter made a big mistake. Matthew 17, verses 1 to 9. Peter talks about worshipping a trinity, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, on the Mount of Transfiguration, and is corrected by God himself. Matthew 17, verses 14 to 21. The disciples couldn't cast out devils because of their unbelief and lack of prayer and fasting. Mark 9, verses 33 to 37. The disciples dispute between themselves who will be the greatest. There's a big oops. Mark 9, verses 38 to 40. The disciples rebuked someone casting out devils in Jesus' name. They didn't get the concept. They didn't get the principles. But Jesus corrected them in a manner in which they should have known. They should have known by that time. All of the training, all of that teaching... They should have realized these things. Luke 9, 51 to 56. The Samaritans don't receive Jesus and James and John want to command fire down from heaven to consume them. Matthew 17, verses 24 to 27. Peter lies to a tax collector and Jesus has to make it right. Matthew 19, verses 13 to 15. The disciples try to prevent children from coming to Jesus and rebuke the parents for doing so. Once again, Jesus has to step in and correct them. Matthew 20, verses 20 to 24. James and John hire their mother to try to get the highest position among the disciples of Jesus. Matthew 26, verses 6 to 13. The disciples had indignation against the woman who broke the alabaster box and anointed Jesus with it. When she was doing it for, for Jesus' burial, when she was doing it under the anointing of God. 
John 13, 4 to 20, Peter tries to stop Jesus from washing his feet and then does a big backflip when, uh, when Jesus corrects him on it. John 14, 8 to 14, Philip doesn't realize that Jesus is God manifest in the flesh. Have I been so long time with you and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? Jesus was saying, you've seen everything that I've done. You've seen all the miracles. You've, you've heard me teach. You've heard me preach. How can you not know who I am? Matthew 26, verses 36 to 46. The disciples couldn't stay awake and pray at the most important of times when Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane just before he was about to be crucified. Matthew 26, 47 to 50. One of Jesus' disciples betrays him to the Pharisees. And causes him, well, leads down the path for him to being put to death. That's a huge mistake, one that Judas never recovered from. Matthew 26, verses 51 to 54, Peter uses, tries to use violence to deliver Jesus from the Pharisees. And he didn't realize just what the kingdom of God was meant to be like, even though Jesus had talked about it many times. Matthew 26, verses 55 to 56, all the disciples run away so they don't share the same fate as Jesus. They couldn't even stick with Jesus. They couldn't even have enough strength within themselves to stand with him. Matthew 26, verses 69 to 75, Peter denies Jesus three times and even does it with cursing and swearing. Mark 16, 9 to 14, the 11 disciples didn't believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. And Jesus upbraids them or corrects them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart. They should have known. Jesus had even told them that he was going to raise from, rise from the dead, but they didn't believe. So when you look at this long list of mistakes, and most of them made right towards the end of Jesus' ministry, and uh, as he was starting to go back to Jerusalem then we realize that the disciples weren't perfect. We realize that the disciples were just men who were being trained and all the training in the world won't stop someone from making mistakes. All the training in the world won't mean that someone is perfect. They'd been in the presence of the only perfect man who had walked this earth, the only perfect one who had ever walked this earth, they were, were being taught by him continually, and yet somehow they still managed to make mistake after mistake after mistake. And what's interesting is that they seemed to make more mistakes towards the end of Jesus' ministry. They had spent three and a half years continually with him. That's a huge amount of time to train and prepare anyone for anything. Surely they were becoming better and better or even perfect. How can you spend so much time in Jesus' presence without being completely changed, becoming more and more like him? So how, especially so close towards Jesus' crucifixion, did they manage to make so many mistakes? Was it because Jesus now expected more of them? I don't think it was just because of that. Well, Jesus did expect them to know certain things, and they did well in that? Was it because the pressure was on them because of opposition, because of things that were happening around them at that time? Maybe partially, but I don't think that that's it at all. Not completely. 
Whatever the cause, the disciples found themselves making mistake after error after mistake after error after mistake. What we need to realize is that the disciples were human. They were people just like us. It's easy to point our fingers at the disciples and say that I would never have made that mistake if I was there, if I was back there, if if I was walking with Jesus, if I'd been in his presence. I would never have done that. The truth is that we don't know what we would have done in those same circumstances. It's easy to criticize in hindsight. It's easy to criticize when something's obvious that it's wrong. But it's much harder to know the right decision to make in the heat of the moment. It's much harder to know what to do when you're faced with an unknown situation, with difficulties, and the disciples just showed that they were human, that they were people just like you and me. They weren't anything special in the terms of the fact that they were somehow more righteous or somehow more infallible than anyone else, but they showed that despite the fact that God had called them, they were still human. They, they still were able to make mistakes. And that's what we need to realize in the church as well. We're called of God. We are called for a purpose in these last days. But we need to realize that people in the church are not suddenly somehow made perfect, are not suddenly somehow unable to make mistakes, unable to, to uh, do things wrong or or, or have a bad day. It's not the case, I'm sorry to say, if I'm bursting any bubbles this morning. We shouldn't be shocked when people in the church make mistakes either. We're all flesh with our own strengths and our weaknesses in different areas. Your weaknesses might be in a different area than mine, and your strengths might be in a different area than mine. But vice versa, my strength might be different than yours, and my weakness might be different than yours. And so, just because you're strong in one particular area doesn't mean that you can criticize or judge someone who fails in that same area that you're strong. People would be just as quick to criticize you in that area where you're weak, but they are strong. It's only a natural human way of thinking, but we need to to grow beyond that because... God has something different for us. God wants us to realize just who we are. The truth of the matter is that we will all fail or fall at some point in time. Some more spectacularly than others, and some more frequently than others. While we are on this earth, we will always need the grace of God at one stage or another. And that is something that you can take to the bank. That is something that will always be true. So when we look at the church, and when we look at people in the church, the ones that we look most to, the ones that we we look most to, to direct, to lead, and even perhaps to be perfect, are those in positions of leadership within the church. The problem is that anyone in a position of leadership is also going to make mistakes at one time or another. I wish that wasn't the case, but it's true. Because we're all flesh, because we're all human, because it is impossible for us not to make mistakes at one time or another. Other times, 
we can think that the leadership are making mistakes, but really they're just telling us things that we don't agree with and don't want to hear, um, which is another point entirely which I'm not going to go into this morning. I expect that I will make many mistakes as I grow and as I develop as the assistant pastor. But as long as I'm growing in God, I shouldn't need to worry. Because I know that God has put a call on my life, and I know the direction that God is leading me. And I know that also I'm not the finished article at the moment. I'm only just starting, and I'm only just starting to grow in this particular position. And so I know that I am going to make mistakes. And it's the same for anyone in any leadership position. They're going to make mistakes at one point or another. I haven't been put into this position because I asked for it or because my qualifications would have meant that I would have beat out all comers in a worldly-style type job, in, job interview. But I find myself here because God has a call on my life and I'm willing to answer that call. That's the only reason that I am here. It doesn't mean that I'm the finished article or that I'm perfect and that I won't make mistakes. I'd love to think that I'm perfect. I really would. And I think that a lot of us would love to think that they were perfect as well. I'd love to think that I'll always do the best or the right thing in every circumstance or situation. But both I and my wife Natalie know that that's very far from the truth. I am not perfect. Um, and uh, I never will be. But by the grace of God, I will be the man that God wants me to be. The truth is that I'm just a regular human being with my own faults and my own weaknesses, just like you have your own faults and your own weaknesses. I'm not talking about sin. I'm just talking about the fact that while we're on this earth, we'll never be perfect. And, we, and we'll never be unable to make mistakes. I wish that God, whenever he puts someone in a position of leadership in the church, would somehow make them oracles of knowledge and unable to make mistakes, but that's not how God works. God works with us. God works with our failures. God works with our, our own weaknesses, our failures and our strengths to make us more like him. God works with his people to make us more like him, but it's a process. It's not something where you start, and it's the same with being a saint in the church. You come from the world, and it's a process. You start at a certain point, and then God calls you, God leads you, God starts to make you more and more like Him. God makes you better and better than you were. And when you look back, you see, I'm not like that anymore. I used to be like that, but it's gone. I didn't realize it, but God has changed me bit by bit. And you come to a point where you look back and you say, wow, God has done so much in my life. God has, has changed me in so many ways that I couldn't have ever believed. And it's just been gradually. And we, we just come to a point where we say, wow, that doesn't bother me anymore. Wow, God has changed my life in that situation. And you haven't realized it, but it's been that process. And God, as long as you're listening to God and as long as you're trying to follow Him, He will change. He will minister and He will make you more than you used to be. It's a process. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, so it's a reflection 
are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Why does it say from glory to glory? Why doesn't it say you automatically become that image, but you're changing from glory to glory, little bit by little bit, day by day, you're being changed into the image and the power of God. The sad situation is that most people outside the church and even some people inside the church seem to think that people in positions of the church of positions of leadership in the church should be infallible, incapable of making errors of judgment or mistakes. And in some ways that's natural, but it's a way of thinking that we don't have to have and we should not have within the church. Jesus does guide and lead those in leadership in the church, yes. He does step in at certain times in miraculously revealing hidden things to church leaders, yes. And it is our responsibility to be sensitive to the Spirit of Jesus revealing things to us. Definitely, yes. But never having a bad day or never making a mistake is not in God's handbook. You'll never find that in the Word of God or in, in His instruction manual. Believe it or not, it's even possible for the pastor of a church to make mistakes. Yes, they've been around the church for many years and they're not a novice in following God. Yes, they have the Holy Ghost living inside of them who leads and guides them into all truth. But think about it this way. Do you have the Holy Ghost? Have you been in the church for a while? Do you ever make any mistakes? I would say yes. If we're honest with ourselves, we all make mistakes from time to time. There are times when we react in a less than optimal way to certain situations. There are times when we say things that we regret afterwards. There are times when we fail God or we fail others. Hey, that just makes us human and still in need of the grace of God. The truth is that the pastor and all the leaders in the church are also human, just like you. I'm sorry to say that our pastor, Brother Simon, wasn't directly molded by the hands of God, forged in the fires of heaven and sent down to earth for the blessing of the Northside Pentecostal Church. Unless you've heard something different, of course, and I'd be interested to hear what you've heard. It'd be nice to think that. But Brother Simon is just a normal man who was molded into a saint and a minister by the power of God, forged in the fires of trials and tribulations, and sent over to Perth for the blessing of the Northside Pentecostal Church. Notice the subtle changes which make a world of a difference. I know this because I grew up with Brother Simon in the church in Townsville, in Queensland, and I watched him grow from a normal teenager into a minister of God. There was a process, there was a time. And just because Brother Simon is the pastor of the church doesn't mean that he is infallible. I wish. I wish that was the case for everyone. <laughs> The same goes for everyone else in a position of authority in the church. The same goes for every saint in the church as well. No one is infallible. So if you ever notice a leader or a minister or even a saint in the church make a mistake, don't be shocked, don't be angry, don't get bitter, and don't hold grudges. Start praying for them if you haven't already. And pray for them even more because the truth is 
that ministers and leaders are targeted by the enemy of our souls more than the saints in the church. And Satan knows that if he can make a leader fall, even if it's only in the eyes of the people around them, that others will fall away out of the church. And if he can't seduce or trick them into failure, then he'll work on someone in the church or outside to start a vicious rumor. That's why we shouldn't believe everything we hear, especially if it's directed against the pastor, ministers, or the church leadership. The Bible says that Satan is the liar, is a liar, and the father of all lies. John 8:44, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, saying, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Rumors and gossip are destructive, whether they're true or not. They undermine the God-given structure and leadership of the church. If you ever start to hear a, lead, a rumor, especially against the pastoral church leadership, squash it there and then. Let them know you don't want to hear it, even if they're your best friend. Say, I don't want to hear it, and start praying hard for whoever the rumor is against. Because either way, they really need your prayers. Either way, because either they have fallen in some way and they really need your prayers for restoration and for coming back to God. Or there's a destructive rumor going around that they're not, um, that they're not worthy of and they need your prayers because they're going to go through a big trial. And if they're in sin or have fallen or failed in some way, God will bring it out in his time. God has a way of doing that. But by praying for them, you're not only bringing them before God, you're also saying that you realize that they're just flesh, just like you and me. And they, we all have the capacity to fail at some stage. You're also implicitly saying that even if they fall, you are willing to stand and stay strong because you're looking beyond the situation or the perceived situation. You're saying that you want to support God. You want to support the leadership. And by doing that, you're saying that you're stronger than the situation and anything that might happen afterwards. If I could get someone to the piano, please. You see, it's not just the church leadership that can make mistakes. And I haven't, I haven't uh, brought this message because I'm aware of any big mistakes or any sin in the church. It's not given for any reason like that. But we should realize that we're all flesh. We can all fail. And we shouldn't lift up someone beyond where they should be lifted up. We should not lift up someone beyond that which we're willing to, to apply to our own lives. We can be very forgiving for our own selves and our weaknesses and our failings and our faults, but very judgmental of others. And that's not something that should be in the church. We should realize that we're all brethren and that anyone who we, we see in a bad light is worthy of our prayer and our uplifting because they need, they need our help. We all need each other. And sometimes we will find ourselves in our own mess of mistakes. Just like the, the disciples who, <laughs> who made mistake after mistake, they lied, they didn't have faith, and, and, and they, they denied Jesus, and they made mistake after mistake 
of the mistake. And sometimes in a very short period of time, they made a lot of mistakes. And sometimes we find ourselves in that own situation, that same situation. One mistake is led to another, and it seems like we've dug a pit we can never get out of. Of course, that's what Satan wants us to think. The reality is that Jesus is always stretching his hand down towards us in compassion, in mercy, in love, and in grace. After all, he knows us better than we know ourselves. And he has the unique perspective that means that he knows what it's like to be tempted in all ways and in all forms of temptation. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.13, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Jesus knows everything that we've done, everything that we will ever do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. It's not time to give up. It's not time to look at our situation or our circumstances or all of our mistakes and say, I can't do it. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. It doesn't say come timidly before the throne of grace, hoping that God might somehow forgive you. But we come boldly unto the throne of grace, knowing that he has the power to deliver, knowing that he has the ability to make us more than what we have been in the past, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see, his mercy and his grace is always extended to us. Whenever we make a mistake, whenever we fall, whenever we fail, even whenever we sin, Jesus reaches down his hand and says, I want to lift you up. I want to bring you out. I want to deliver you because you are my child and I love you. He understands our struggles, our weaknesses, and even our sins. And he wants to deliver us from them all. A mess of mistakes made by me means that I must meet the miraculous mercy of the Master. And that's the only antidote to a mess of mistakes. The mercy of the Master, of Jesus, is the only thing that we need and the only thing that will help us in the time of our need. You shouldn't point your fingers at anybody who makes mistake or fails in the church because it could well be you that needs mercy next. It might well be you that needs the grace and the forgiveness and the love of God the very next time. So, if you find that you've been critical against people in the church, and it also applies to backsliders as well, Jesus still reaches down his hand to those who have left, to those who are in sin. And it's not up to us to judge them, because Jesus is still trying to reach them. Jesus is still trying to pull at their hearts. Jesus still wants them to come back to him. So it's not up to us to be critical. It's not up to us to be judgmental of people's mistakes. They take them, they even take them out of the church. Because it could be by us that the grace of God can be shown to them. And they might come back. Because we're showing them the love and the forgiveness of Jesus. 
So if you find that you've been judgmental or if you find that you've been critical, have a rethink. That natural way of thinking doesn't belong in the church. We all need to realize that we are the same as everybody else. We're not perfect. No one in the church is perfect. And if you have found yourself in your own mess of mistakes, now is the time to come before Jesus. His mercy and His grace is extended to you. Not just this morning, but at all times. And if you come here, we'll pray with you. Prayer is what you need. And Jesus will will deliver you. He will heal you. And He... He will, uh, he will show His mercy and His grace to you in your life at your time and your point of need. So I invite anyone who wants to come closer to Jesus, anyone who wants to be more like Him and to show the love of Jesus to everyone around them and also those who need the mercy and the grace of Jesus, I invite you to come. I invite you to be loved of Jesus this morning.